All right, if I could have everyone return to their seats. As you are returning, um, let me just, I wanted to update kind of some things that are going on in the life of our church, very exciting things in the life of our church before we jump into the God's word. Um, you'll be hearing more about this in the coming weeks and months, um, but it wasn't this last week, but the week before, Thursday of July 4th week, eight of the men who were nominated for ruling elders in our church began meeting at my house every Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday morning. And that process has continued on and will continue on through the month of July, August, and September. And Lord willing, by the end of September, the men who go through this training and, and, and demonstrate the abilities and articulate the theology that, that's being asked of them to, to defend and to, to teach, um, those men will then be turned back to you to be voted on as elders in this church. Now, again, I'm going to be walking you through this whole process, but this is a very encouraging time in the life of our church because it, it demonstrates that I am not a dictator. <laughs> I am not a dictator. Uh, the, the, this church, the intention of this church is to be led by a plurality of elders, that there's not one voice that dominates all of those things, and that is a good thing. And so the, the men who are going through this training um, are, are being trained in how to think like an elder, how to act like an elder, but they already demonstrate a lot of those realities, or you wouldn't have voted for them. Um, but there's a lot of good things that are going through. I'm very encouraged by the times that we have had. And it's, you know, it's not all like easy, and you know, we have good conversation, and it's, it's very fruitful. And so I'm grateful for them, and grateful for uh, what they're doing. And thank you, church, for nominating some of those men um, it's going to be a, a really healthy thing for the life of our church. So that's just an update on where we are in, in regards to the training of elders in the coming months. We'll vote on them and go on from there. Um, so if you have a Bible, we're gonna, we're gonna be looking at Acts chapter eight, verses 26 through 40. We're just continuing our look and study of the book of Acts. Just a quick word on those of you who, who aren't really familiar with the book of Acts. Acts is a book that was written by a man named Luke. He wrote two books in the New Testament, Luke and Acts. And it's kind of like a two-part series on Jesus' ministry and life and Jesus' ministry and life as the ascended Lord and the spirit that's been given. And so Acts is how the spirit of God works through his people and builds his church in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so today we come to a story and we'll see this in shortly, of how we see the gospel going to the ends of the earth. You start to see it, and we're really going to start to see it in the coming chapters with the Apostle Paul. But today, our look is at this one particular story on the road to Gaza. So if you have a Bible, Acts 8, chapter, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Hear the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. 
So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to, see, to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his own way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. A few months ago, I called around to different churches and organizations to find a place for us to worship. The location we're in right now was not allowing us to worship here because of COVID restrictions. And so one of the, one of the things, I called a bunch of organizations. And one of the organizations that I called was a Jewish synagogue not far from here. Now, when I called there, I began a conversation with the synagogue president. And it was truly a really nice conversation. She was kind. She was friendly. We had nice little chit-chat, a little soft talk. But it was fun, back and forth. She knew, had some friends in Boca Raton. I'm from the Boca Raton area. I have a lot of Jewish friends from the Boca Raton area. I didn't bust out my Roberta voice. So if you know my Roberta voice, it's, it's a good New York Jewish accent. I love doing that. But I didn't do that. But I felt at home talking to this lady. And she was open to us worshiping there on Sunday morning. And with that comes with a lot of questions, understandably so. Like, what would you do with the kids? Well, do you guys have space to meet with the kids? And on and on we talk. Well, what do you need in terms of like chairs? On and on it goes. But then the conversation hit a dead end with her. And I understand why. But she said this. Are you going to try to proselytize the Jews? Straight up. She just asked me that. Of course, I didn't lie. I still wanted to use the space. And so I wasn't as forthright as she probably wanted. I said, well, we're not in your face, Christians. We're kind and friendly. We, we just don't shove things down your throat. Understandably, she saw right through it, and she didn't like my answer and never took my calls again. I understand her reluctance, truly, to interact with me again. But this small interaction is a microcosm of a value that has pervaded the culture in which we live. And that is this. Religion is a private matter, and only a private matter. You can bring up whatever you want in the sphere of this world. You can bring up your favorite movies, your restaurants, hobbies, and we can debate these things, but bring up your religion, and I'm going to shove you out the door. Unfortunately, this value has pervaded its way into the church. We, and I mean we, that includes me, as a collective have a difficult time sharing our faith or talking to our neighbors about the very thing that means the most to us. Especially, and I'm not talking about your faith is disingenuous. No, genuine faith. 
we have a hard time talking to our neighbors about it. This is because the culture's value of religion being private has invaded our hearts. Now, what are we giving up? What is the world giving up in making religion only private? I think the world is giving up a lot, and so are we. Have you ever once considered that giving up this value of, of being willing to at least share your faith, not trying to like change people's minds and like, you know, you're like, I'm not trying to brainwash people, but, but to share what you, what you value. What are we giving up? Well, we're giving up the opportunity to maybe have a brother or sister in heaven. The person who says religion is private is giving up the opportunity to learn and to grow. Because think about this. The Christian faith has roughly one billion people in this world. The vast majority of the culture that we live in, the rules, the laws, are based in Christian realities. And so to learn about the Christian faith is to learn about who you are and how you think. So even if you're not going to become a Christian, it's like you're giving up so much when you make religion just a private enterprise. Shall we cater to this value? Shall we just allow religion to continue to be privatized, never to be discussed in public? that we miss out on all of these realities? Heaven forbid. Now, thankfully, there are stories all over the place of Christianity being proclaimed publicly. And, and this public proclamation of the faith makes significant impacts in lives that no one can look away from it. And, and, and indeed, this should embolden us to push against this value when we see these transformations taking place. Of course, the story that we read this morning in Acts 8, is a, is a perfect case study on the gospel being proclaimed publicly and a transformation taking place. An Ethiopian eunuch is making his way home after a visit to Jerusalem. He's worshipped the God of the Jews, and now he's reading the prophet Isaiah in his chariot. This dude is filthy rich. I read a commentator says, everyone at this time walked, and if you had means, like nice means, you, you rode. But those who were driven, those were the means of the means. I mean, this guy is rich and wealthy, but he's so curious. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and he comes across this man, a character named Philip. He's like this prophet. And they have this encounter, and they have this encounter that leads to this Ethiopian becoming a Christian. And literally going, at one point going, there's water here. Can I be baptized? Yeah, man, let's do it. And this Ethiopian is immediately converted and becomes a Christian and heads back to Ethiopia rejoicing. Like, we might be reluctant to embrace Christianity in the public sphere as Christians or non-Christians, but we have to acknowledge that Christianity still makes a significant impact in everyone's lives that it touches. So this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want to go back to this story and present three challenges to the skeptic and three challenges to the saint or the saints who struggle with faith being proclaimed in the public. In, in issuing these three challenges both to the skeptic and to the saint, it is my hope that all would push back on this value that is pervading our culture and church and robbing us of the riches, the riches and the resources that just talking about Christianity in the public space brings us. Okay? Three challenges for the skeptic, three challenges for the saint. And if you're going, is this guy going to tell six points? Yeah, I'm going to tell six points, okay? <laughs> but trust me, it's not going to be as long as you think. All right. Three challenges to the skeptic, three challenges to the saint. That we might push back on this 
value that our culture has, has, has taught us and that we've learned. First, to the skeptic. The first challenge that I want to offer to you if you're a skeptic is this. Be curious. Be curious. There seems to be a trend, another trend in our culture, that pushes for tolerance of religions. That is, until those religions start making exclusive claims. Logically speaking, this reveals that this value of tolerance as a belief system isn't actually all that tolerant, but just as judgmental as the religions that they like. This tolerance actually articulates the exclusivity of the religions it despises. Tolerance isn't the answer for feeling uncomfortable with the exclusive claims that religions make, that Christianity makes. No. Tolerance isn't the answer. It's curiosity. This, I believe, is the very disposition of the eunuch that we come into contact with. We know from this story that this man had just spent time in Jerusalem, even though he's Ethiopian. He's away from his home country, but he's worshiping the God of the Jews. Now, on the way home, he's reading the very book of the Jews. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. And my guess is he's trying to make sense of what he had just participated in in Jerusalem. I mean, he's trying to make sense of it all. And you can see it. He has no clue what he's reading. Because when Philip interacts with him, he's like, do you know who this is written about? But here's the thing. He's curious. But here's a really fascinating thing about his curiosity. I think it gives a picture, a light of this. There's a, this, the particular passage that he reads to Philip is Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. You know, the, the, the passage obviously is speaking to Jesus from a Christian perspective. But there's another passage not far after this. So it's a scroll, and you read it like that, and you, you keep opening it. Isaiah 56, 5 is a particular passage that Isaiah speaks to eunuchs. So you wonder, why is this guy reading Isaiah? My guess is he's heard of this Isaiah 56.5. Let me read it to you. It says this, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughter. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I mean, it's pure conjecture on my part, but when I, when I hear this prophecy of Isaiah speaking about the blessing that's going to come upon the eunuch, it's, I, I wonder if the eunuch's going, look at what I've given up to serve in the courtroom of Candace. I've given up the ability to have children. I've given up the ability to have a, gener like a, a future generation. And in this culture, that meant everything. I mean, this man's filthy rich, but there was this emptiness in his heart. And he reads Isaiah and he goes, there's something in that for me. And he was curious about this. And it led him on this search. And he went to Jerusalem. And then he finds Philip. Perhaps you could say his pain made him curious. Curious of the God Isaiah was speaking to. Curious of the hope that Isaiah was promising. Curious to all of that. And so here's the challenge to you, skeptic. Be like this Ethiopian eunuch. Be curious rather than judgmental. My experience with skeptics or people who, who are not Christians, maybe skeptics is, is too even gracious of a word because skeptic assumes that there's, there's interaction, but people who aren't Christians tend to be far more judgmental than they are curious. For whatever reasons, they make these assumptions about Christianity, what it stands for, what it requires, 
And so they dismiss it completely. And so rather than being curious about the pain of their life, about the existence and the purpose that they're here for, or why there's difficulty in their life, or why the world feels like it's falling apart, or, 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 or is there any hope? What the skeptic does is numb through substances, or distracts through fashion trends, sporting events, socializing with friends, or whatever else one uses to avoid life difficult circumstances. This is foolish. Be curious, skeptic. Ask the questions of your life and settle not until you find the resolution. Be like the Ethiopian eunuch. If you need to go to Jerusalem, go to Jerusalem. You got to. Stop numbing. Stop distracting. Be curious. So the first challenge to the skeptic is to be curious. The second challenge is the step you must take in your curiosity. And that step is this. Read the Bible. The second challenge for the skeptic is to read the Bible. Of course, this is exactly what the Ethiopian eunuch did. He read the prophet Isaiah. Look, you cannot debate this. You, you cannot debate this. It is settled in stone that the Bible is the most influential book of all time. That billions of people and thousands of years have sh been shaped by its teachings, by the people it talks about. This, this morning, you have been shaped by the Bible. Yet it's amazing to me, skeptics and saints alike, alike, how many people discredit and discount it without ever having read the Bible. Consider the following scenario. It's a, it's a hypothetical. If I were to tell you that Harry Potter is a terrible book, all the books are terrible. They're just a bunch of silly stories that don't make any sense. Now, you have every right to disagree with me, and we can debate that. But what if I said that and told you, I've never read the books. The, the debate is over. I have no point. But here's the thing. So many skeptics and people who aren't Christians discredit Christianity and they've never read the Bible. We would think the person who doesn't read the Harry Potter and says it's a, a bad book is foolish, but we don't think not reading the Bible and saying the Bible's foolish is foolish. Skeptic, read the Bible. We've got Bibles in the back. We've got five of them, but we've got a caseload of them. If you've never read the Bible or don't have a Bible, take it. It is for you. Steal it, okay? It's probably the only time you'll hear in the church, steal the Bible. Take it. That's for you. Read it. This is what the Ethiopian eunuch did. You cannot discredit the Bible not having read it. You can't read it. So that's the second challenge. The first, of course, was to be curious. The second, to read the Bible. And the third question will come, and the third challenge, I should say, will come once you have read the Bible. And that third challenge is this, ask questions. Be curious, read the Bible, ask questions. Look, in his curiosity and having read the Bible, this is exactly what the Ethiopian eunuch did. When Philip approached him, he says, do you understand what you're reading? It's a simple question. And he says, how can I understand without someone teaching me? Essentially, he's giving this man, like, this, I, I, I don't know what I'm reading. Can you explain it? It's a simple question. Look, the Bible's a fascinating book. It's large. It's got all sorts of interesting, you know, books, what I call rooms, that look at the past and the future. And indeed, it can be confusing. 
It is not a weakness for you to read the Bible. Even if you're in church, let me talk to the saints for a second. Even if you're in the church and you're going, I got no clue what this is about. Like, I, I do believe Jesus, but I'm still, ask questions. It's not like a sign of weakness or, or stupidity to ask questions in regard to the Bible. The Ethiopian eunuch did it. It's where his curiosity led him. But it was in asking questions where he actually began to find the resolution to the questions that he's asking. Do not be so prideful to say, I can figure this out. I'll, I'll look at Wikipedia. Stop. <laughs> ask, ask somebody, okay? Ask someone who can interact with you about your real questions, about, about what's really going on in your life. You might not realize this, but a lot of the questions that you have that are really troubling to you are rooted in something much deeper. And so being able to ask someone, Wikipedia can't do that, but someone can ask you that. So do that. Ask questions. That's a challenge to you, the skeptic. Be curious. Read the Bible. Ask questions. One of my wife and I's favorite television series in the last few years is a series titled Ted Lasso. And the main character, Ted, is an American football coach he was goofy, fun-loving, and just not what you'd expect of a coach. And the story of this whole series is this football coach from Wichita, Kansas, is recruited to be a soccer coach for a very famous team in England. Of course, when this, you know, redneck, goofy, Wichita, Kansas guy comes to England, he's immediately dismissed by everyone that he comes into contact with, but especially by the man who lost ownership of the team, through a divorce. His name was Rupert. Now, Rupert despised Ted because he felt that Ted was destroying his beloved soccer team that he no longer has control over. And there was real tension between these two characters, tension that came to a head when Rupert and Ted, or when Rupert challenged Ted to a game of darts in a pub. There were serious implications on the line. And it seems in this series that Ted, this fun-loving goof, has no chance against this confident and arrogant Rupert in a game of darts. But as the scene is coming to an end, Ted looks at Rupert, and it's, it's a great scene, and there's, there's some language, so don't show your kids here, but okay, we all can agree. But Ted looks at Rupert, this goofy-loving guy looks at this arrogant guy, and he says this, guys underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman, and it was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. And I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them was curious. They thought they had everything all figured out. So they judged everything and everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because if they were curious, they, they would have asked questions. You know, like questions like this. Have you played a lot of darts, Ted? To which I would have answered, yes, sir, every Sunday at a sports bar with my father from the age 10 till I was 16 when he passed away. Ted takes the next three darts and smokes Rupert. Boom, boom, boom. Skeptic. Be not judgmental like Rupert. Be curious. Read the Bible. Ask questions. 
This is the challenge to you to push back on this pervasive cultural trend. So let me, let me now address the saints in the room. We've talked to the skeptics. Let me now address the saints. I've got three challenges for you. What are these three challenges? Very simple. Very simple. Listen, look, lead. The three challenges for the saints in this room are to, to listen, to look, and lead. First, listen. In the opening of this story, Philip is approached by an angel and told to go to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, last week we had seen Philip in Samaria and this wild, incredible revival was taking place in this, this strange land for these Jews. And now an angel comes and says, I want you to go to a very particular road south of Jerusalem. And then he's told to go to a desert place, or it's a desert place. I get the sense that there's not going to be a lot of action in this desert place, is there? I mean, he had just been and witnessed this revival and seen popular people like Simon come to apparently become Christians. But he goes to this desert place, and we soon find out that he has this encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch who's riding and reading on a chariot. And God, we see this, speaks to him again through the Spirit. And what does he say? Go over and join this chariot. Philip listened and does just that. And this is the first challenge for the saints in this room when it comes to sharing our faith in public settings. Listen to God. Do not ignore the small places in life. Do you remember what Jesus told the disciples in the, book, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew? The last thing that he has in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a really simple command. Go make disciples of all nations. There's his command. There's his call to all who are saints. Go make disciples of all nations. This is the voice that is calling all of us. And we are now in the place where all nations was being referred to. We are that place. Arkansas is the nations that Jesus is referring to. This is where we are. And the call still stands. Go make disciples. So saints, whether you're in Arkansas or some other place, the call still stands. And the call to listen is required. And sometimes, yea, most of the times, those places are very small and insignificant places like the road to Gaza. It could be the carpool line at the school. It could be the gym that you work out at and the people you interact with there. The restaurants you frequent. The neighborhood you call home. Even your work. The call for you is to bring your faith into these public settings. We need to listen to that call. That's the first challenge. God is calling you wherever you are to share your faith, listen to him. But the second challenge is important when you listen and obey this command, and that is to look, to look. Not only listen, but look. Do you recall what happens when Philip obeys the voice of the Lord and he approaches the Ethiopian? What does he do? He sees. He sees that the Ethiopian is reading 
a scroll. He just sees it. And he asks a simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? Sharing your faith is often predicated on looking. Looking at what people long for. Looking at what people read. Look at what people look to for salvation. Looking to what people, it sounds ironic, looking to what people say. (laughs) You're listening to that. But if you have eyes to see and ears to hear what people are describing, you can see the scroll that, that Philip sees. I was on the golf course on Friday and listening to the men that I was playing with talk about their wives. It tells me a little bit about something. In particular, it tells me that they're longing for rest and they're frustrated when their wives get rest. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. But do you have the eyes to see what the world is longing for? Look, the problem many of us Christians have is that we are so constant looking at ourselves more than we are at others. We're more concerned about what they think of us, hoping that we will be seen as acceptable and cool, hoping that we won't be canceled, hoping that we can just fit in. But in looking at ourselves, guess what? We become too busy to look at them. We've got to look at them. Just listen to what they say. I know that contradicts the first point, but listen to God. Look. We should be looking at others and wondering what it is that people want in Little Rock. What do our neighbors long for? Just look. Maybe it's just as simple as your presence or an invite to a backyard barbecue. If we look, I think we'd be surprised to find that a lot of people are longing to bring their faith into public settings. I truly believe that. So the first challenge is to listen. The second challenge is to look. The third challenge is to lead. Now this one is definitely the most challenging for us all. The last challenge is to lead people to Jesus. Of course, this is exactly what Philip did when he was asked the question about who is this person from Isaiah 53. In verse, 50, in verse 35 of Acts 8, we read, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip's listening to God and looking at this person brought him to the place where he could lead the Ethiopian to Jesus. And he did just that. And he believed. Now you might be sitting there going, yeah, that's Philip. He's like a prophet. Did you see what happens to him right after this occasion? Like he is like, he is like vanishes and goes up to like Azotus, whatever that, that is. It's a city. And then he's on sister. Like this guy is a prophet. I mean, like I'm eating Doritos on the couch at 2 a.m. Like what? I mean, like, like you don't know me. That's Philip. He's in the Bible. But here's the thing. Philip did something that you, eating Doritos on the couch at 2 a.m., know, especially if you're a saint. You know the good news of Jesus. We don't get there was this great debate, uh, uh, this great apologetic debate between these two about the, uh, the, um, these esoteric terms, and they were trying to reason it out. No, Philip just led him to Jesus. You are the same way. Saint, you know the good news. You know, as a sinner, undeserving of God's love, who you are and how you are the way you are. 
And you know how crazy it is for God to move towards you a sinner. But this is the good news. That God, through the work of Jesus, his perfect life, his atoning death, his hopeful resurrection, has brought you into his presence. That through Jesus, you, though a sinner, are God's. You know that. And people are desperate to hear that good news. Most people know that they're broken. Most people know that they've broken laws, whether it be God's laws or this laws, and there's this incredible guilt in their life, and they're looking for answers, but they're so often distracted or numbing this. You have the answers. Lead them to Jesus. This summer... Um, you guys have probably heard me talk about Dude Perfect a lot these last few days. <laughs> Dude Perfect is um, probably one of the most popular YouTube channels in the world. They have 60 million subscribers to their channel. And there are these five dudes who were best buds at Texas A&M, and they started off doing all these goofy <laughs> trick shots and all this stuff. And uh, they've turned it into quite the business. So much so that they have this variety show and they have like, it's, and it's so much fun. I, we watch it with our kids. But so much so, they've gathered so much popularity that they decided to do a summer tour a few years ago. And this year, last month, they were in Little Rock, Arkansas for the first event. Now, we got to go to the second event because we were in Birmingham for the Presbyterian General Assembly, but we decided we're going to the Dude Perfect Tour in Birmingham because my kids want to see these guys. I kind of want to see these guys. It's just a blast. And so they do their thing, and they have the best time ever, and we're laughing, and we're dancing, and we're playing, and having a good time. But at the end of their, sh of, of their show, they say this, if you want to go, go ahead, but but we, ha we, we have something we want to share with you guys, and it means a lot. We'll give you guys a few moments. We're going to regather ourselves, but in a few moments, we're going to come back and share with you the most significant part of our life. And so some people started to leave, but then a lot of people stayed. And then they came back out, and they had these chairs, and the guy, Tyler, who's the head of it, he leads people to Jesus. And you just go... This guy's definitely eating Doritos on the couch at 2 a.m. <laughs> and he's leading people to Jesus. Following his brief presentation, it's a beautiful presentation, just about the hope, literally, a simple presentation of how, how Jesus is good news to him and to all the other guys. He says, I want you, this QR code in the back, you, I want you to do that. Take a picture of it. You know, take your phones out and do it. And it took you to this video. And there was Tyler, the main guy, and he had his Bible open, and he literally walks the people who go to that video through the scriptures and showing how Jesus really is the resolution to all the biggest questions in life. If Tyler Tony can do that, guys, I'm telling you, it's, you can too. You can do that as you interact with the moms at the school you go to. You can do that with your neighbors. You can do that with your friends that you play golf with. You can do that. But you gotta listen, you gotta look, and then you gotta lead. Saints, let us heed this challenge. Let me pray. Lord, we're thankful for this story because it is a powerful testimony that you continue to work. Yes, it is true that we often wanna put our faith in a small, 
compartment of our life that we get to just cherish and love and kind of like the garage door of our life. Just when we get in, we just put it down. But you have called us to not do this. And indeed, if we really do love it, we do want to share it. It is good news. Lord, I pray for the skeptics in this room. I ask that you would continue to stir up some curiosity in their life, that they would not settle for, for the fashion trends of this world, that they wouldn't settle for what their sports team does, that they wouldn't just numb themselves with alcohol or drugs or whatever they do to numb it. I ask, oh Lord, that you would stir in their lives curiosity that leads them to read the scriptures and to ask questions. Lord, I pray that you would do this for the sake of your glory and our good. Amen.